Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you The Seminarians, a dialogue with students from the Pontifical College Josephinum, produced by AM820 to encourage and inspire vocations to the religious life. And now, The Seminarians. Welcome to The Seminarian Show. My name is Jacob Stinnett. I'm a seminarian for the Diocese of Columbus, and joining me in the studio today is Brian Smith, a seminarian for the Diocese of Youngstown. Let's begin in prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Loving Father, we give you thanks and praise for the gift of this new day, of the life that you continually give us, and all the graces that you pour out into it. Open our eyes and our hearts to see those graces and to respond equally in love. Now let us pray the words that Christ taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Brian, we're back. Um, A lot of times on this show, we've talked about uh, our time in seminary, uh, different aspects of our life, our daily schedule, um, all the formation that we go through in preparation for ministry. Mm -hmm. Um, And we've touched a little bit on some of the classes that we take. Yep. Um, And in theology, one of the major programs that we do quite a bit of study in is the Bible, right? Yep. It's kind of an important text for um, for Catholics. Yeah, it's be good to be familiar with it. You know, we might sure. have to talk about it on the weekends and things like that. <laughs> right. Um, so we do a lot of study with the Bible. We go through and we look at, you know, the content, the theology that we can see in the Bible. Um, but one of the important things um, about reading the Bible is we read it in context, right? right. So the Bible was written the New Testament, anyway, was written about 2,000 years ago, mm-hmm. between 1,800 and 2,000 years ago. Um, so it was written in that particular time period. Mm-hmm. So it's profitable to read it with that world that it was written in, right. in our minds, mm-hmm. too. Um, we read you know, the parables and the gospel stories, and they have meaning to us today, just reading them. Right. Um, they're powerful parables that teach us uh, moral teachings or about the love that God has for us, uh, his mercy. Um, but there are different details that it's very easy for us as contemporary readers to gloss over mm-hmm. because in the context in which they were written, it has a different or maybe a deeper meaning that we don't understand. So studying that world, that New Testament world, is important to be able to draw out this sorts of nuances and add another dimension of beauty to the texts. Yeah, it can be very helpful to enter into the mindset of the writer and the people that the writer was, you know, keeping in mind, especially for these holy books, because, you know, the Catholic Church asserts that Holy Scripture is inspired by God, Mm -hmm. and God works with and through the writers of Holy Scripture, in right. the sense that 
Um, we don't profess that God is giving word for word, you know, everything that we find, for example, in the Gospel of Matthew to a man named Matthew, but God is working through him, you know, giving him the inspiration needed to record the, the details, the sayings of our Lord's life. Um, but he's letting Matthew live as a you know, man of the early years of this, the first millennium of the time after Christ, um, knowing the culture that he does and just living in the way that he does. And that's, so we see that reflected in his writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, God doesn't turn humans into robots or mm-hmm. we aren't God's uh, word processing machines, yeah. right? We're, we're people with our, with our own um, viewpoint, our own culture in which um, the Old New Testament was written. So um, today we're going to share a little bit about what we've learned mm-hmm. about this New Testament world. Um, and you and I have had some experience even visiting it. Mm-hmm. We've spoken before, and we will speak again on another show or two about our time in Rome. Mm-hmm. So um, it's easy to kind of jump to Israel, you know, modern-day Palestine and Israel as the place where the New Testament happens, but... Um, if we look beyond the Gospels to the writings of the Acts of the Apostles mm-hmm. and the letters of St. Paul, St. John, St. Peter, um, we're looking at really the larger world of the Roman Empire, which at that time was you know, around the, especially the eastern part of the Mediterranean Sea, if we look mm-hmm. on a map today. So um, as much as it is important to understand what life was like in Israel, it's also important to enter into the life of the Roman Empire. So we got to appreciate a little bit of that recently in Rome. And then um, next year, there's a benefactor who helps us as fourth-year theologians go to the Holy Land. And typically, we're not able to host the radio show after that. So, you know, we can draw a little bit on what the fourth-year seminarians have shared with us. Mm -hmm. And I even recently had the chance to visit the National Shrine, if you will, the Franciscan Shrine of the Holy Land in Washington, D.C., where they have replicas of some of those important spaces. So the idea there was that the Franciscans, around the year 1900, built this shrine in Washington so that um, people who couldn't go to the Holy Land, and back then it was much more difficult than it is nowadays, could go to our nation's capital and walk through a few of those, you know, really important sites. Wonderful. So, we you know, those experiences we've had can help us also, you know, complement some of the books we've read and the studies right. we've had. Having that visual and sensory experience of something is as informative, if not maybe even more, um, than sifting through the textbooks, mm-hmm. although that's um, indispensable for learning. So, well, let's talk... Um, kind of about the the culture at the time mm-hmm. um what um what did what were people's ideas or practices as far as religions go because you know this christianity is a new religion coming into the world yeah it's not like it was coming to unreligious people yeah. um, so they had their own practices their own cults mm-hmm. at the time judaism was just one mm-hmm. a small one among many mm-hmm. in the roman empire so yeah, I think it's most helpful to think about what the Jewish religion was like at the time mm-hmm. and then to look at you know, kind of the more popular, what we would call pagan religions throughout the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. Um, so to mention briefly, the Jewish religion at the time, um, the earliest Christians, and we see this in the writings of Paul, you know, 
were still trying to wrestle with their identity as far as to what extent they were still Jews or not. Right. We see that um, kind of conflict going on in the Acts of the Apostles. So we don't have this um, clear-cut, you know, abandonment of, you know, the Jewish religion, or perhaps we don't have um, people setting up, you know, really defined camps of Christians versus Jews at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, we, we have, of course, the idea of, Christ as the Messiah and the fulfillment of the promises to the Jewish people and the question coming up of, you know, what happens with, you know, the Jews at the time who don't recognize him as the Messiah. So Mm -hmm. we're working through that issue with regards to the Jewish community. And then throughout the rest of the, the Roman world, you know, most of the religious expression we're seeing is not so organized as we Mm -hmm. might like to think, because when we study Roman religion and Greek religion in classes, you know, especially history or literature class in high school. Um, We talk about the pantheon of the gods, Mm -hmm. Zeus and, you know, all the other gods. And And all the shenanigans they got up to. Well, yeah, right. It might, we might have the impression that there's a very organized way that everyone viewed these gods, but Mm -hmm. it, it was different from city to city, from region to region. And, um, we talk about the pagan religions as a polytheistic religion, but even in some cases, um, you know, the gods were viewed as more expressions of one almighty power. Yeah. So there's even maybe like a beginning idea in some of these cultures of what we would call monotheism, which is, you know, mm-hmm. the one God. Yeah. Little, uh, pieces of the truth coming through in their own mm-hmm. religious expression. For sure. And then, you know, some of the other elements of popular religion were um, viewing certain historical people as having become gods and remembering them as gods and turning to them and even praying to people, Mm -hmm. especially rulers, rulers of the empire, the Caesars, for example. Yeah, there's the the deification, Mm -hmm. um, making gods out of the emperors. And that was one of the sticking points um, during some of the persecutions in the empire, yeah, right, was whether Christians were allowed to offer incense to the emperor, mm-hmm. um, which many gave up their lives for. Right. They saw that as idolatry. Um, and one last point I'll, I would mention about just belief in gods in general and religion is that, um, you know, in our weekly Sunday mass mm-hmm. and in our, some of our bigger feasts, we profess our faith in the creed. Mm-hmm. And we have, you know, a certain set of beliefs that we share with, you know, all members of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and people who practiced these popular religions back then weren't so focused on what they believed about the gods necessarily. They were kind of focused on what you might do, like what sacrifice you might make to them, and then, you know, asking for things. But having a, a really defined set of beliefs wasn't so important. Yeah, it was more what um, sort of reciprocal relationship you had with mm-hmm. the gods. Yeah, um, you know, give them whatever sort of sacrifice, and they'll reward with good weather, <laughs> or a bountiful harvest, or uh, more children, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. You're listening to the Seminarian Show on Saint Gabriel Catholic Radio. My name is Jacob Stinnett. I'm a seminarian for the Diocese of Columbus. With me in the studio today is Brian Smith, a seminarian for the Diocese of Youngstown. Today we're talking about 
the world in which the New Testament in particular was written, kind of understanding the culture behind the text of the New Testament to help inform us more about uh, what's going on, some of the nuances within the text. Um, So we've been talking about the popular religion of the day, the sort of pagan cults that existed throughout the Roman Empire. Um, So now we'll transition into looking at that whole empire Mm -hmm. in itself. Um, The Roman Empire was stretched what they called the known world at that point from Mm -hmm. um, almost India in the east to uh, Great Britain in the northwest. Um, So it was a very large empire um, and kind of seeing how some sort of unity of culture within that, um, although not uniformity maybe, Mm -hmm. um, affected the New Testament or just things to keep in mind when reading the New Testament. Mm -hmm. So what are some of those things, Brian? When we think of the empire, a Roman empire, Mm -hmm. sometimes we can put modern ideas of what an empire is back onto, you know, the Roman empire. So we might think of a, a more modern empire as something very organized with, you know, a great deal of control even into the local life of a place. But we have to keep in mind that um, at that time, travel was difficult. Mm-hmm. And the Romans also had developed, you know, a, a system of accommodation of sorts where they would allow the local peoples and local cultures to preserve a lot of their practices as long as they made certain contributions of tributes to mm-hmm. Rome um, and they could guarantee for the people then protection from outside invading forces, for example. Yeah. So, you know, it's not that Rome was seeking to control all the details of daily life out in the, the, the farther extensions of the empire, especially the farther you got away from Italy and from Rome. Mm-hmm. There was less of a daily presence. If sure. I think a lot of us use the, the example of the empire in the Star Wars universe, yeah. maybe, where everything is... Um, the goal is subjection of everyone and it's all done with this vast uh, and imposing military force that can be there at light speed as they, uh, as you see it. And um, yeah, that's really not how the Roman Empire worked necessarily. Maybe some of the Caesars would have wanted it that way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that wasn't possible. Isn't possible, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, so what sort of control or what sort of influence would this have on the outer extent of the empire? Um we have Italy and Rome. That was kind of the central hub. That's where a lot of the um, more elite members of society mm-hmm. were living. That's where mm-hmm. a lot of the goods were coming in from the extent of the empire. Um, but you had farther out places, even in Greece or modern-day Turkey, mm-hmm. um, Egypt, those sorts of places that the empire couldn't be as present just because we're so far away. And the only way to travel was by a road or by a ship that really doesn't get much more than a mile off the coastline. One of the things that Rome benefited from in the area around Greece, Turkey, and Israel was that Alexander the Great and, you know, his Greek culture had already established somewhat of a a smaller empire, perhaps, in that mm-hmm. area. So when the Romans came in, there was already somewhat of a structure of rule there that they could just kind of adopt and let keep working out in its own way, you know, with certain requirements of, of loyalty to Rome and, Mm -hmm. um, 
because you could kind yeah. of keep your own culture in a way. The things that Rome was concerned with were the taxes, mm-hmm. right? Make sure money's coming into the empire, mm-hmm. um, either with money or with other resources like food or whatever the region could produce. And also just kind of keeping the public order, making sure everyone was in line, not causing mm-hmm. rebellions or, or whatnot. So I think one of the last things we can mention in this section of, you know, the empire and rulers is that, you know, in the Bible we have terms like Lord and King. Mm-hmm. Um, and those take their meaning from a number of places. Of course, we find them all throughout the Old Testament. Sure. So they have a great history in in the Jewish religion, in the people of Israel, which we bring into the New Testament. Mm-hmm. But they're also influenced by the way they were used in the Roman Empire. And we talked earlier about how sometimes Caesar was made into a god, mm-hmm. usually after his death, but even sometimes because of his military victories. Um, so um, the New Testament writers want to show how you know this ruler in time, this limited man who's claiming to be you know, a god in some cases, mm-hmm. Um, is nothing in comparison to the Son of God who has come to live in this world. And he's the true king, but they're they're trying to show how, of course, in Jesus Christ, we see so many opposite behaviors as opposed that, you know, when we compare him to the Caesars. Right, he doesn't quite they're, look or act like a king. Mm-hmm. But he's deserving of the same attention and uh, majesty mm-hmm. as the Caesar, which is something they would have been very familiar with because they would have seen, you know, this honor that was given to the Caesar, the king, the ruler. Yeah, so you'll yeah. see in various inscriptions things like the title Savior being attributed mm-hmm. to um, one of the Caesars or, um, yeah, Lord in the way that we might refer to God mm-hmm. as Lord. Um, yeah, so using that sort of language, it gives us two different contexts in which um, we now use it from, both the Old Testament and then yeah. the Roman world. Um, one thing that is kind of fascinating about Christianity is it spread very rapidly throughout the empire in those first couple hundred years. And it was most prevalent, um, in the cities. Mm -hmm. Um, it started off, uh, kind of as an urban religion. Um, we see that kind of with the setup of the way dioceses were established. Um, you had a bishop for each particular city and that was where the church was centered. And if you just read the beginning of the book of revelation, you see, John, through the the angel addressing the different churches, and those are the churches based in those different cities mm-hmm. throughout, like modern day Turkey and Greece. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So, um, there's a few things about cities that have caught my attention from our studies, especially recently. Yeah, um, yeah. Tell us about some of those. Well, the density, the population density in the cities, um, is just really something that surprised me. Yeah. They, the numbers are enormous. They compared them to some of the most populated, densely populated cities today, including in Bangladesh. Mm-hmm. And they were saying that, you know, some of these cities in the Eastern Mediterranean were more densely populated than even what we might know today. Right. Um, some of them have a population density of 10 times as much as something that we would consider a crowded city like New York or Chicago yeah. or something. I mean, just lots and lots of people in and not we've, a lot of space. We've seen the diagrams of the the you know, the blocks where people would live. Mm-hmm. The buildings are like four stories tall about. And it's kind of like a modern European capital. And it has some resemblance of some of the older cities in the United States where you have stores on the ground level, 
nice apartments on the second level and then maybe two or three more levels of um you know work or workers or common people's apartments mm-hmm. but we're talking about a time when there wasn't running water in any of those buildings um even you know very poor ventilation and right you know sewage wasn't what we are used to today so we're talking about people living really on top of one another and sharing a lot of things that we don't have to worry about sharing nowadays <laughs> right things that maybe aren't the nicest to share with your your friends <laughs> and because of this you know christians who are adopting a new style of living and you know trying to live out the example that we see in the acts of the apostles would have been really conspicuous like you would have stood out a lot because you can't avoid running into people all the time Mm -hmm. so it's not like our suburban life today that many of us might be familiar with where you know it's easy to kind of live in a bubble back then that was almost impossible if you were in a city right um and there's some similarities to social media today but even with social media we can filter certain things that we show to other people but back then right Right. If you were making a commitment to do something distinctive, you know, people knew about it. So that could help spread the religion and mm-hmm. it became very appealing because, you know, the conditions people were living in were sometimes very abject, very yeah. poor. So the, this the message n- of hope was certainly mm-hmm. attractive. Yes. But at the same time, then if if you weren't um, conforming when it was expected that you would, that would also become apparent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's no easy way to hide from your neighbors because mm-hmm. um, often they were sleeping in the same room as you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so cities were important in the Roman Empire mm-hmm. and for the spread of Christianity. Um, but also, as we read a lot in the New Testament, that um, life outside the cities, maybe agricultural life, was yeah. also important. It was definitely relevant in a lot of the parables that we read. Exactly. So that's also something that can be unfamiliar to us nowadays, just mm-hmm. as much as our our style of city life and suburban life is different from what it was back then. Many of us nowadays just aren't familiar with what life is like um, in contact with the land mm-hmm. and with the way plants and animals grow and things like that. So, um, you know, shepherding is a common example. Um, it's easy to romanticize the life of the shepherd, you know, thinking of sure. bucolic pastures and a peaceful life. Uh-huh. And there's um, all those depictions of Christ as the good shepherd. Yes, or, beautiful. Yeah, they're beautiful <laughs> images, um, mm-hmm. but that's not exactly the life that the shepherd would have lived it's not entirely it yeah um Um, it was of course you know unpredictable at times and you're exposed to the elements and Mm -hmm. i have an anecdote that an anecdote that i heard a few years ago that also comes to mind a lot in these parables now um a seminarian who was visiting the holy land shared how he was very excited to kind of see shepherds Mm -hmm. up close and personal and just kind of connect with you know the bond of love between that you know that caretaker and his sheep and his animals Mm -hmm. and he remembers getting up to the first group of sheep and they're about to cross the road and the shepherd's leading them and you know the sheep start going in the wrong direction so the shepherd starts yelling at them and then he starts throwing rocks at a few of them because they're going (laughs) in the wrong direction so you know sometimes we can idealize you know this this style of life and but it also had its complications right um you know, right. it's nitty gritty element. <laughs> yeah, the the bishop's crozier is based on the model of a mm-hmm. shepherd's staff, and the the crook that you see at the top, yeah, um, was used for grabbing the sheep by its neck and yanking yeah. it back in. Mm-hmm. Um, which, which is what our Lord does with us too. And Psalm Psalm twenty three is one of the most beautiful psalms, and it's a psalm that people often turn to for consolation. Mm-hmm. But we have that line in there: 
your rod and your staff comfort me. Well, mm-hmm. what does a shepherd do with his rod and his staff? He pulls you back. Yeah. <laughs> or sometimes needs to hit you with yeah. it or something. Yeah. Right. So Out um, of love, of course. Of course. Everything Christ does is out of love. Um, sometimes it's not the love we were expecting, though. Yeah. <laughs> but it's the love that we need. Mm-hmm. Um, wonderful. So from city life and agricultural life, all of that was based around the home. Mm-hmm. Um, today we have kind of single family homes. We have mom, dad, and kids mm-hmm. is how we think of family. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not really the way that homes and households yeah. worked back then. We can think of families nowadays as having, a you know, even though there's income disparity and different social conditions in which people find themselves, we have some fundamental, some fundamental rights that we share, you know, to create our own home, to own property, to, you know, build up our household. But, you know, in the New Testament, we're dealing with a world where you know, very few people owned homes and mm-hmm. controlled resources and things. And many people lived either a life you know, comparable to slavery or something like it where they didn't really own much. They depended on, you know, the patronage of other people who were, you know, letting them work in their homes. And they often, you know, could be uh, dismissed without much explanation or, um, you know, they were living in a very precarious situation and they were establishing their families in the midst of such a precarious situation. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And kind of the last thing, um, before we have to go here, Mm -hmm. um, is just how people viewed themselves. Um, today we, our culture is rather individualistic. Um, we look at what can I do? What can I make of myself? Yeah. Um, Self-determination is kind of a a key word today. mm -hmm. And back then, we were dealing with a world where it was much more important to try to meet certain standards and, you know, you're comparing yourself to others in a, in a way that that was what was determining, you know, your trajectory in life. Right. Um, so a lot of um, self-image comes through our relations mm-hmm. with other people or our relations to on, other people. the honor we have in public. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Well, Brian, thank you for sharing this with us. Hopefully it uh, is able to inform you about um, the New Testament world and gives a new lens uh, for reading the Bible. This has been The Seminarian Show. My name is Jacob Stinnett uh, from the Diocese of Columbus, and joining me has been Brian Smith of the Diocese of Youngstown. So we'll end in prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed Blessed art thou thou among women, and and blessed blessed is the fruit of thy womb, womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Seminarians is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of The Seminarians and all of our locally produced programs are available at stgabrielradio.com.